Welcome to Rounds with Relias, the podcast for healthcare professionals. I'm your host, Jesse Safran. Our topic today is Legionella, which are naturally occurring bacteria found in water that under certain conditions can cause Legionnaire's disease, a life-threatening form of pneumonia. Some of the most susceptible individuals are hospital patients, and some of the deadliest outbreaks in recent years have occurred in healthcare facilities. To help us better understand this issue, we are joined today by Dr. Janet Stout, President of Special Pathogens Laboratory and Research Associate Professor at the University of Pittsburgh Swanson School of Engineering. Dr. Stout is a renowned expert on Legionella and Legionnaire's disease and has been working in this field for more than 30 years. Dr. Stout, it's a privilege to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure to be with you and your audience. The original outbreak that gave rise to the term Legionnaire's disease came in 1976 at a convention of the American Legion, a veterans group. 221 indiv individuals became sick and 34 died. It became a major national story not only because those suffering were military veterans, but also because at the time the disease was a mystery to public health officials and scientists. Dr. Stout, what have we learned about these bacteria and this disease since 1976? Well, we've learned a lot, Jesse. Uh, at that time, it was a newly discovered disease. Uh, actually, Legionnaire's disease, when the CDC, Center for Disease Control, went back to their freezers, actually was later found to have caused disease dating back to 1947. So fast forward to today, we know that this bacteria is responsible for approximately 2 to 5 percent of all pneumonias that occur in the community, which translates to about 30,000 cases of pneumonia each year. And these cases of pneumonia require hospitalization. Legionnaire's disease is a severe form of bacterial pneumonia, much more severe than most cases of other forms of pneumonia. That bacteria, Legionella, that was responsible for the outbreak at the American Legion Hotel, at the Bellevue Stratford Hotel in Philadelphia in 1976, was named Legionella pneumophila. Uh, Legionella, obviously, for the American Legion, and pneumophila for lung loving. Well, even today, that same strain of Legionella is still responsible for the majority of cases of Legionnaire's disease, despite the fact that the family now includes over 60 different members, uh, which are called species. So it's a, the scientists have learned a lot about the, the family Legionella. And Unlike the outbreak at the American Legion Convention, which was attributed to a cooling tower, today we know that this bacteria is present in building water systems, meaning hospital water distribution systems, including hot water distribution systems, which is where we, when we did our seminal research in the early 1980s at the Pittsburgh VA, where we found that over 100 cases of Legionnaire's disease occurred in those hospitalized patients over a five-year period were caused by Legionella pneumophila serogroup 1 in the water supply. And that was such a dramatic finding that it was published in 1982 in the New England Journal of Medicine. And then we're also finding reports from the Center for Disease Control on outbreaks involving drinking water their results show that about 66% of all drinking water outbreaks are caused by Legionella, which is really dramatic because when you think about waterborne outbreaks, you think of things like E. coli or Salmonella or, or parasites like Giardia and Cryptosporidium, but the majority, over 50%, were caused by Legionella. So 
as I mentioned, you know, this is a severe form of bacterial pneumonia. And when it comes to hospitalized patients, the risk of death is as high as 30%. So for a long time, we were just reacting to these cases. And so with that high mortality with hospital-acquired Legionnaire's disease, it's really all about prevention. And we really need to get a little bit better with regard to prevention because over the last 10 years, the number of reported cases of Legionnaire's disease has gone up over 300%. So we have our work cut out for us, Jesse. It seems like prevention is certainly on everyone's radar, especially when there are high-profile cases of Legionnaire's outbreaks. For instance, in the summer of 2015, there was a big Legionnaire's outbreak in the Bronx in New York. There were 138 cases and 16 deaths. Um, and in Flint, Michigan, on top of the problems related to their lead poisoning, there was a Legionnaire's outbreak associated with changes in the water system there, and there were 90 reported cases. The sources of those outbreaks were, I think as you referenced earlier, water cooling towers and water systems. Uh, what have you seen at healthcare facilities? Are there sources of Legionnaire's disease outbreaks that are more common than others? I think the thing that comes to my mind, Jesse, when you ask me what have I seen at healthcare facilities, uh, the thing that I've seen most is uh, a, a sort of a form of denial that this disease could occur in their hospitalized patients. And as I said before, our work and the work of others since the original outbreak have shown that it's the potable water system or the hot water system within a hospital that is the primary source of exposure. So that means, like what we found in 1982, when the patients are standing at the sink and they turn on the water or they're standing under the shower uh, or in a whirlpool uh, bath, they're getting exposed to Legionella bacteria. But I, I want to point out to your audience, Legionella is not everywhere. It is not ubiquitous. So, so what we've found is that about half of the healthcare facilities and other large buildings that we test have Legionella in them. And that means that about half do not. So it's really important for healthcare facilities to find out which half are they in because then they can sort of focus their attention appropriately. So if you don't have Legionella in your water system, you're not worried about hospital-acquired Legionnaire's disease, just community-acquired Legionnaire's disease. If you do have Legionella in your water supply, is it Legionella pneumophilosera group 1? If it is, then the most commonly used diagnostic test, which is the urine antigen test, will detect infection to serogroup 1 Legionella pneumophila. It will not detect against other species and other serogroups. So you really need to know what's in your water system. So the primary source is the water distribution system. There's a general lack of a willingness to determine whether or not Legionella is present. When you do know what's in your water supply, you can act accordingly. After the Bronx outbreak, there was a heightened response from New York City and New York State governments, which passed strict laws regarding Legionella assessment and risk management. There also was a new standard issued by the American Society of Heating, Refrigerating, and Air Conditioning Engineers, ASHRA. And just last summer, a memo from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services mandated that all hospitals begin to assess Legionella risk in their buildings. Obviously, some of these initiatives are mandatory and others are voluntary. Dr. Stout, which organizations and facilities will be affected by these changes, and do you think they will be successful at preventing future outbreaks? 
So I'll start with the last part of your question, Jesse. Uh, will we be successful? So any prevention effort, anything sort of targeted to minimize the risk of, of exposure to Legionella will have an impact. So just historically, the ASHRAE standard, which is standard 188, uh, was published in June of 2015, and I was actually a voting member on that committee, and it took the committee 10 years to get that uh, standard approved. And the important thing about the ASHRAE standard is, as you say, it's a voluntary standard, and it applies to all building owners. They must survey their buildings, whether they're a hospital or not, to determine whether there are either devices like cooling towers or other aerosol dev uh, generating devices or certain building characteristics uh, like a healthcare facility would have uh, that have been associated with risk of Legionnaire's disease. And if those characteristics are present, then they have to go on and develop a water management plan, which is a sort of the minimum standard for preventing uh, and assessing the risk of Legionnaire's disease. In June of 20, 2017, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services came out with their own memorandum, and it affects hospitals, critical access hospitals, and long-term care and nursing homes. So that's all of healthcare, essentially. And what was um, so dramatic was that it was issued and, and they stated it was effective immediately. And then the next uh, state, the first state ever in the United States to have a law, a public health law, requiring healthcare facilities, general hospitals and residential healthcare facilities, requiring them to implement environmental assessment and Legionella sampling and management plans. So the difference among those is with ASHRAE and CMS, they have to do a water management plan and the people implementing the program decide how to best address that risk, including when to test, whether to test, how to test, uh, and determine that sampling plan. The state of New York mandates that, that that sampling for Legionella be done. And so for that reason, I really think the, uh, the regulation out of New York State is the best that we have to date. So just to clarify, are you saying that with the CMS standard, um, the the standard now is that uh, hospitals and other facilities have to have at least some program in place, but the way that they implement that is sort of up to them and the feet on the ground. Yeah, so CMS points the facility towards ASHRAE Standard 188 and the CDC toolkit to devise a water management program. And so there's still some a lot of decisions that are made at the facility level on how to implement that standard. To find out more about topics like this one, please go to reliasmedia.com slash podcast where you can listen to other episodes. There you also can subscribe to our informative publications such as Hospital Infection Control and Prevention and obtain CME or CE credit. Dr. Stout, you mentioned before that there, are, when it comes to Legionnaires to disease, there are four Ds, I suppose, discovery, diagnosis, denial, and detection. When it comes to the denial part of that, it is, it is understandable that it would be difficult for a hospital or other healthcare facility to admit that they have a Legionella problem. For instance, in February of this year, a federal whistleblower complaint was filed against officials at the VA Medical Center in Loma Linda, California, alleging that they covered up a Legionella outbreak 
and put patients at risk. When you look at the overall scope, the CDC is saying that Legionnaires cases have gone up by roughly 450% since 2000, and tragic cases seem to crop up regularly. What is your experience in terms of moving the ball in the direction of greater Legionella risk assessment and oversight? Is there something that should be on the radar of all healthcare stakeholders? Is there something that, you know, from the doctors to the the C-suite that they should be focusing on to sort of address this problem? Well, I like that you included the physicians um, in this discussion. And so both physicians and infection control professionals, they will, you know, have the opportunity to either do diagnostic testing for Legionella or when a case is diagnosed, make a determination of whether it was acquired in the community or could be a healthcare acquired case of Legionnaire's disease. So one of the critical things is when um, a patient presents with pneumonia, uh, there are no specific signs or symptoms that will tell a physician, aha, this is Legionnaire's disease. They're generalized symptoms, you know, fever, cough, about 20% will have diarrhea, and those uh, presenting signs and symptoms are common to many forms of pneumonia. So the idea is that physicians need to be ordering Legionella diagnostic testing more often. And this is supported by the fact that not just those classic high-risk groups or the ones getting Legionnaire's disease, our work as well as others have shown that 23 to 25% of cases of Legionnaire's disease occur in people that fall out of those typical risk factors. They are not smokers, they're not diabetic, they're not on high doses of corticosteroids, and they're not transplant patients. They are like you and me. And so that means that the physician has to think about the fact that that might be Legionnaire's disease and do the diagnostic test. If they do that test and they start appropriate antibiotic therapy soon rather than later, the chance of survival is very high. Even a delay of two to three days of appropriate antimicrobial therapy for Legionnaire's disease can dramatically increase mortality. And the antibiotics of choice for the treatment of Legionnaire's disease are quinolones like levofloxacin or ciprofloxacin and macrolides like azithromycin and clarithromycin. Some of the antibiotics that are used to treat typical forms of community-acquired pneumonia, penicillins or penicillin-like antibiotics are completely ineffective in the treatment of Legionnaire's disease. So it's really important for Legionnaire's disease to be high on the list of concerns for physicians, particularly for healthcare-acquired Legionnaire's disease because um, we have that, that high mortality rate. And the other thing for infection control practitioners to think about is there's a definition for healthcare-acquired versus possible probable healthcare-acquired. If it's definitely healthcare-acquired, the patient's been in the facility the entire incubation period. Well, the incubation period for Legionnaire's disease is long. It can be as long as 10 days. It can be as short as two days. So in order for it to be definite healthcare acquired, that patient has to have been in the hospital with uninterrupted stay for 10 days or longer, which is very rare these days. The average length of stay is about five days. So what that means is that the majority of cases that occur are going to fall into that possible probable category, meaning that they were in the hospital some portion of the incubation period. Well, the tendency is for people to say, oh, 
that's a community-acquired case. That's not ours, and we won't investigate. So my message to infection control practitioners uh, is to go ahead and do an investigation, even if it's a possible probable case. And that means go sample the water system around where that patient was and look for Legionella as a possible source of exposure within your facility. And that will have a, a dramatic you know, impact on detection of Legionella. And then what that does is it helps people to kind of be nudged forward to prevention. And if Legionella is present in the water system, particularly Legionella pneumophila, and there have been known cases, then that means that active disinfection of the water system within the healthcare facility is warranted. And that means installing a system on the hot water to add additional disinfectant to help control Legionella. So we're never going to get rid of it, and it's the sky is not falling if you find some of it. The idea is that that's information that helps us implement control. And we really want risk managers to really sort of get involved as well because they really understand that these things need to be done, and we really shouldn't be quibbling about whose budget that, that comes out of. It's, it's really important not only for the patients but also for the reputation of the institution. Dr. Stout, the CDC recently came out and described the scope of the Legionella outbreak problems that have cropped up in recent years. They cited the fact that 15% of hospitals, 21% of senior living facilities and workplaces, 19% of long-term care and nursing homes are the sources of these outbreaks. Is there a breakdown? Do you think that, for instance, hospitals may have a different tack than senior living facilities? And I know you mentioned using disinfectants and other ways to the, the prevention side of this, which is, you know, detecting this. Can you dive into the nuts and bolts of some of the other approaches that can be taken? Yeah, so there isn't a one-size-fits-all with regard to disinfection uh, approaches. Now, acute care facilities versus long-term care facilities. So long-term care facilities, uh, one of the most important things, I think, for people to understand is that the, the presenting sign and symptom for the elderly uh, is not typical uh, of a respiratory infection. It's often confusion or delirium. Uh, so that may be the first sign that somebody in a long-term care facility has uh, Legionnaire's disease. And, uh, and so, again, you know, rapid diagnosis and initiation of appropriate antibiotic therapy will go a long way to helping that individual recover. Um, I think the one unique thing about long-term care facilities is that these patients will go in and out often. Uh, they will go out to an acute care facility, come back to the long-term care, go out and come back. And again, that complicates the concept of where did that individual get exposed to Legionella. And so what, what ASHRAE and CMS propose is really the same approach regardless of whether it's an acute care facility or a long-term care facility. Assess the risk. In, in our view, you cannot assess the risk of Legionella in your facility without testing your water systems for Legionella. So in a, a healthcare facility, it's the hot water distribution system and cooling towers. Uh, you have to know whether Legionella is present. And then you manage that risk with these water management and safety plans. And so you look, you do the walk through the facility, you determine where the risks are, you, you implement controls over those risks, 
either with disinfection or or changes in management of the systems. For example, you know, you mentioned a, a cooling tower outbreak. Well, you know, many times uh, those systems are not properly managed in the sense that the right amount of disinfectant isn't applied uh, frequently enough. And once that water management plan is in place, all of those processes are looked at so that optimal control can be achieved. And so the approach is the same. Uh, you're just talking about different size facilities, but uh, water safety and management plans per ASHRAE standard 188 or referred to in the CDC toolkit and the CMS memorandum are the way to gain control and really, again, emphasize prevention. You do not want to wait until the case is diagnosed because when I talk to people about this, it's, uh, it's a penny wise and a pound foolish kind of situation. Prevention is always cheaper than waiting until the outbreak occurs or you get the knock on the door from the health department saying we're here to investigate a case of Legionnaire's disease. And it's, it's very painful in the sense that not only are you going to be doing testing for assessing uh, your facility, but you're looking specifically where that patient was in addition to the entire facility, and then you're going to have to implement emergency disinfection. And then the health department's going to ask you to retest every two weeks for three months, and then monthly for three more months as part of the workup for a, a suspected outbreak. And there will be no use of tap water, no showering, only use of bottled water. And so you can just imagine, if you're listening to this, you know, the dollar signs are going up, 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 up. So you, you're going to spend 100 times the amount of money if you play that Russian roulette and just wait until a case occurs. It's dangerous and deadly. Dr. Stout, I know this is a complex issue. And as you said, there's no one-size-fits-all approach. That being said, if there were one reform, either at the institutional level on a voluntary basis or at the policy level, what would you like to see in the coming years? Well, I think that's a wonderful question, Jesse. And, I, and as you said earlier, I've been dealing with this issue since the 1980s. And when we first identified Legionella as a problem in our uh, hospital here at the Pittsburgh VA uh, in Pittsburgh, I thought that after that, all hospitals would voluntarily test their water. Once they found Legionella in their water, they would disinfect. And we would do a tremendous amount in terms of preventing healthcare-acquired Legionnaire's disease. But sadly, what happened was there was arguments from CDC as to whether or not this was really a problem. Uh, infection control practitioners were discouraged from testing uh, by CDC. And so the problem persisted. And as you said, the, the numbers of cases went up and up and up and up. And then I got involved in ASHRAE Standard 188 and uh, as I told you before, it took 10 years to get that standard completed. And uh, I have to say, at the end of the day, I was disappointed because it's a minimum standard. It, it didn't require testing of healthcare facilities for Legionella. It left a lot of decisions at the uh, facility level. And so I, I don't think that by itself would be effective. And as I said before, uh, the, the New York State regulation, which is based in public health law, is really, I think, what we need to do across the country. 
state-by-state state, institute a similar regulation which requires all healthcare facilities to have a risk management plan and specifically tells them to test for Legionella in their facilities and cooling towers. It actually tells them a minimum number of locations to test. It tells them how to interpret that. So if I was going to point anyone to a model, it would be the New York State Department of Health uh, Legionella regulation. Dr. Stout, can you, you're the president of the Special Pathogens Laboratory. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that you do there? Oh, I'd love to. You know, uh, hopefully your, your audience can tell that Legionella is my passion, and it has been since I was a graduate student at the Graduate School of Public Health uh, looking for a, a project and found uh, Dr. Victor Yu and others at the Pittsburgh VA when we started to investigate the outbreak that was ongoing there. Uh, what we do here at Special Pathogens Laboratory is carry on that mission of prevention. Uh, we were a government entity until 2007 and became a private entity uh, in 2007, and we carry that mission forward. So what we do here, we say Special Pathogens Laboratory is more than a lab. We do Legionella and waterborne uh, pathogen detection, but we also work very closely with uh, facilities, both healthcare facilities and commercial facilities, to implement prevention strategies, both in terms of ASHRAE Standard 188, CMS, and others in, in implementing and designing water management programs, but also helping them to assess the risk within their facility. So our goal is to end Legionnaire's disease. We actually have that mission. Uh, and I think we are the only ones uh, on the planet that have declared that mission. And I know that we can achieve that goal of ending Legionnaire's disease with the help of your audience. Thank you very much. Today we've been joined by Dr. Janet Stout, President of Special Pathogens Laboratory and Research Associate Professor at the University of Pittsburgh Swanson School of Engineering. Dr. Stout, it's been a pleasure, and I hope to talk with you in the near future. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Relias Media, where we empower healthcare providers to improve patient care and outcomes. To find out more about topics like this one, please go to reliasmedia.com slash podcasts, where you can listen to other episodes. There, you also can subscribe to our informative publications, such as ED Management, and obtain CME or CE credits.